My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and I feel like the most loved guy in the room because I got three pieces of chocolate already, so <laughs> I probably have to share two of those with somebody. But anyway, okay, thank you so much for being here today, and we are going to try to go a little deeper into this topic of love and also try to work on that application piece. How, what does it look like if we live this out? And we've discovered over the last month or so that this is a huge topic that we've uh, been diving into the, the Bible is filled with beautiful passages about love and how to live that love out. We know that this is that central to our faith. We talk about God's love for us all the time. We talk about loving God back. We talk about loving our neighbor as ourself. Love is a, is, it's just huge. And so what we're trying to figure, this, figure out is if this is at the core of what it means for us to be Christians then, how does it shape our behavior you know, Monday through Saturday. It should not just shape us here, it should shape us all the time. And we've got another great passage today I'd like to invite you to read along with me, First John chapter 3. So uh, if you're going to open up your Bible, it's way toward the back of your Bible, one of the little letters of John, First John 3, or you can open up your phone or your, your app to read along. I don't know if you've been tracking with the passages that we've selected so far throughout this series, but you would have noticed if you did that, that many of them come from John, from John's Gospels or from John's little letters at the end. Uh, of all those who wrote about uh, love, John wrote the most of anybody and some of the most beautiful passages, so we're going to look at another one of those. First John chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading with verse 11 today. First John 3 starting with verse 11. Before we read this, I want to offer this prayer for you. The Lord be with you. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. I'm wondering if uh, I ask you kind of the, the mood of politics in our country right now, if a certain word comes to mind. Does a word come to mind? Or a series of words come to mind? The mood of politics in our country? Yeah, divisive, angry, adversarial, dysfunctional. Yeah, there's lots of words we could think of for that. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people have been paying attention to this. I don't often talk about this, but it just seems so overwhelming sometimes that you can't ignore it. Some people are saying things like this. They're saying, our country has never been more conflict-ridden than it is right now. And I don't know if that's true, but that's a pretty bold statement. And we do see a fairly high level of uh, conflict. And I might say that's the mood or the prevailing mood in our country. And then a lot of this has to do with politics. I've got a picture of maybe what that prevailing mood is. There's just no civility. There's this, there's this kind of constant tension and animosity and 
and anger. And when you bring up civility, your mind might immediately go to politics, but my mind also goes to other things within our culture, like social media. I don't know if any of you are on all those things you can be on, Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, but the mood on these um, media, social media sites are, it's, it's mean-spirited and angry, divisive, that kind of thing. And then I start to think about the media itself, and um, I think I shared this several months ago. We gave up watching news because it just was so discouraging. There was so much backbiting, so much who do you trust, who do you believe, all that kind of stuff. It seems like it's vicious out there. And then um, I also hear lots of comments about uh, workplace negativity, um, people working in environments and things have changed where it doesn't seem like there's um, care for the employee or care for the customer or anybody, care for anybody, that just the mood is negative. And then also there's kind of this constant tension around relationships. And we hear routinely about husbands and wives that are um, intention and families, siblings, intention. Sometimes whole communities are feeling abused and offended and hurt and isolated and outcast and vulnerable. So there just seems like there's a lot of um, this mood in our country. I read one survey this week, and it said that 95% of the people in our country right now think we have a civility problem. That means we don't know how to get along. And 81% of the people believe that that leads to more violence, this incivility. So we're actually becoming more violent and more angry. So that seems to be leading to the mood. I have a picture of what I think might be an accurate description of our prevailing mood. That's it right there. <laughs> Does anybody here ever listen to Jim Gaffigan, the comedian Jim Gaffigan? I enjoy listening to him from time to time. I listened to some stuff this past week. He was actually talking about a visit he made to the city of Philadelphia. And you know what the name Philadelphia means, right? Brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. And then he riffed on that for a few minutes, saying certainly when they named Philadelphia, they were being sarcastic because he's never experienced a place that was so perpetually angry. And then he actually started talking about the whole northeastern section of our country, and he said that region of the country is also perpetually angry. And I think he just missed the target a little bit because it feels like the whole country is perpetually angry sometimes. So I don't know if that's your mood, or if that's the mood of our country, or if that's the mood of your neighborhood, whatever, but I thought it would be helpful today if we did three strategies to try to address the mood of anger and distrust and hostility and incivility. Would you be interested in that? Three strategies to try to address this mood. Okay, most of you nodded yes, so I'm going to keep going. Okay, first strategy is keep love central. Okay, we've been on this for a, a few weeks, so this should not be a big surprise to you. But I wanted to just focus on John's angle on this for just a few moments because John brings this up over and over and over again about how important it is for us to maintain love as the key things. In fact, I think it would not be a stretch to call John's gospel and all three of John's little letters love letters. What he's saying is we have to figure out how to maintain love as the key characteristic of who we are as Christians. And the reason why he says this is because the key characteristic he sees of God is love. So if love is central to God's character, then love should be central to our character too. And he goes on to make this case very strongly. In this particular passage, he makes an interesting reference to, well, this is what it has been like from the beginning. And so I'm thinking, beginning? What is he talking about there? I'm, I'm going way back to creation, and the reason I go back that far is because he's bringing up this idea of Cain and Abel. So it brought me right back into the first chapters of Genesis, and I'm thinking, 
he must be saying that at the very beginning when God created, that even creation was done out of love. And there's lots of different theologians who have speculated about this, but they speculate like this. They say, in the beginning, before God created anything, there was just God in three persons. And we heard up here, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they were in this great relationship, a relationship of of intimate love with one another. And that many theologians speculate that God is then saying, because we have this wonderful relationship with each other in love in the Trinity, we should make a world where that can be experienced. And so that prompts the creation. And then it prompts the crowning creation, which is men and women, who now can live in relationship and experience love in, a, in the same way that the Trinity experiences love, in this close, intimate relationship. When, when John makes this little allusion in this letter to, this is what it's been about from the beginning, I think we can read into it all of that, that God created out of love, He created us to be people who experience love in the same way that He experiences love within the Godhead, and so let's enjoy that. And of course, we know the story doesn't go well for very long. Adam and Eve rebel, and then they have children who rebel, and right away we got the story of one brother who's killing another brother. So how would you describe the prevailing mood on that day, the day Cain killed Abel? Probably not a good mood, maybe hostile, angry. And so I don't think it'd be a stress to say that at one point, one quarter of the entire earth's population was so angry, they were angry enough to kill their brother. That's what it was like. This is what lack of love does. Lack of love causes me to be more worried about myself than others, more focused on my value, my worth, my importance, my needs. Lack of love causes me to focus on self. This was Cain's problem. He knew that Abel's sacrifice was better and he was jealous. He was angry because God accepted his sacrifice better than his sacrifice. And so now he's focused on himself and he loses it because love has puffed him up. It's put others down. It's deflated them. It causes, um, you know, gossip and innuendo and backbiting and incivility and suspicion of the motives of your brother and sister until everybody becomes snooty and proud and self-aggrandized. We make ourselves too big. And then we have to kill somebody to put them down, to put ourselves back in, in place, in perspective. This is what happens with the lack of love. And this is what John is warning us about in this little passage. Lack of love leads to killing your brother. That's a bad place to be. So what he says instead is, keep love central. Very important in this day and age when we have a mood that is somewhat angry and uncivil because when it's like that, then we're tempted to put something else central. Maybe I need to put myself central. Maybe I need to be right. Maybe I need to prove you wrong. Maybe I need to argue my position. All these things become really important when the mood is hostile. John's saying, keep love central. Don't forget that. So that's our first strategy. Just simply remember that this is where... It's the most important quality of God. It's the most important quality of God's people. Keep love central. Very basic. We've been on this a lot. I'm going to go on to the next one. We choose to love. In the middle of an environment that is hostile and angry and uncivil, we have to choose to keep loving. It's very interesting in this passage. Someone else pointed this out to me, but once they did, I was intrigued by it. The, the word brother occurs more often in the verses we just read than any other chunk of Scripture in the New Testament. I think it was like seven times the word brother is used, brother or brothers. 
There's one other passage where the this word brother is used that many times in a few verses. You know where it was? In Genesis, when Cain kills his brother. So that just intrigued me when they made this connection. I'm like thinking, you know what? Even brothers get to the point where it's not natural for them to love each other well, don't they? Even in families. In fact, it got me wondering if maybe it's even more important when we're talking about close family relationships to remind ourselves how important it is to choose to love. We have to make this choice to keep loving. Because it seems like in these close relationships, like within families, we sometimes have conflicts and annoyances and petty aggravations. These things spring up in families, don't they? And I'll be very careful that you don't look at your neighbor right now. In families, there's tension. So how important is it within our families to continually choose to love in the middle of all that? How important is that within our family as a congregation? Loving one another is what really matters. That's what John's saying, and he's saying we can choose to do that. Okay, do you believe that's true? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a trick from JR's bag. Say this, everybody, loving one another is what really matters. Everybody say it. Loving one another is what really matters. Okay, now say it like you really mean it was the case. <laughs> Loving one another is what really matters. And we can choose to do that. And that brings me to my third strategy. If we can choose to do it, then don't stop choosing to do it. Just keep loving. And this is where I get to a bunch of these other passages in Scripture that talk about love. And they almost all seem to have this component of like saying, well, here's a way you can keep loving Here's a way you can choose to not stop loving. Starting with the passage we just read today, the last verse, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay? So if, I'm gonna, if love is central, and I'm going to choose to love, and I'm going to not stop loving, then the question becomes, what action can I take in any given moment to show you that I love you? I don't even think you necessarily have to feel like you love me at the moment. You just have to choose to do the loving thing, to do the right thing. What action can you choose? Now, there's a whole bunch of passages we could turn to to dig deeper into this. I think I might have mentioned these in your outline. You can read them later. 1 Corinthians 13 would be a beautiful passage if you wanted to start with a bunch of actions you could choose to do anytime to show your love. And then uh, James chapter 1 and 2, read, read the first couple chapters of James, and you'll get all kinds of really concrete examples about here are things you can do Whether or not you feel like you're loving the person or not, you can do these actions and they will demonstrate love. You can choose to not stop loving. Simple actions like this, being patient, being kind, uh, exhibiting self-control. James talks about controlling our tongues, caring for the needy, orphans and widows, visiting the lonely, overcoming our prejudice and our favoritism. These are simple steps you can take, actions you can take, choosing not to envy and choosing not to boast, choosing not to dishonor others, not to be self-seeking, not to be rude, not to be easily angered, not delighting in evil but rejoicing with truth, choosing to protect, choosing to trust, choosing to hope and persevere. If we're going to keep love central, we can choose to love and we can choose to not, not to, don't stop loving by showing these actions in every situation. Now, I know this isn't easy. 
because I, I got brought up short just before I came up here this morning because I was thinking through this part of the sermon, thinking it needed a little something. So I'm going to tell you a story about my yesterday. So we went to, we were going to go see my mom in Des Moines, and uh, we had a little time schedule in mind, so we're flying around in the morning, getting stuff loaded up in the car, getting ready to go. I'm standing by the door um, ready, and I'll just say it this way. There was another person in my household who was not quite ready. <laughs> and we had, were having a discussion about loading something in the car, and I had already done it, and I snapped at her, just to be honest. I, I snapped at her. I was not patient. And I didn't even really notice it that I was that impatient. And then a little bit later, we got to my mom's. We were helping her with some stuff. And one of the things we had to do was run an errand. So we went to Walgreens to get something she needed. We got up there to get this thing. And um, she didn't have the information she needed to get it. There was a whole bunch of choices. And I'm like trying to help her figure out which one it is. And while she didn't bring it with her. So we didn't have the information. So back in the car, back down the hill to my mother's house, get the information, back to Walgreens to get the thing she needed. And I am, you know, <laughs> to my mother, right? Gosh, I didn't even notice it until just this morning I was thinking about it. And then um, a little bit later, we stopped at a store on the way home that was very busy, and they only had two cash, cashiers open, and they were doing what looked to me to be a very inefficient process of checking people out. So the line was very long. And I'm steaming. I'm, I'm standing in line helping them try to figure out how can they fix the situation with their cashier, thinking maybe they need a different cashier is maybe what they needed. I'm being so impatient. Now, if I would have noticed in those moments, though I maybe didn't feel particularly loving toward my wife or toward my mother or toward this clerk, I could have chosen some different actions. This is the way love works. We can choose and if we're going to keep love central, in, uh, especially in a world where the mood is uncivil and hostile and angry, then we can choose to keep loving and we can choose to not stop loving. And so I'm just going to challenge you to, to think about that. I, I'm reading an interesting book. It's called Irresistible Faith. The guy's name is Scott Sauls. The subtitle of this book is Becoming the Kind of Christian the World Can't Resist. And so the point is, if we did a better job loving, as we are hoping to, maybe we would be irresistible, especially in this era when there's a lack of civility. So this book has a bunch of great questions in it, and I just want to share a couple of the, the, my favorite questions about how love transforms. Here's one of the questions he asks. What would it look like for us to become those who love most deeply and serve most faithfully in the places where we live, work, and play? What if we, as Christians, were known in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools as, oh, those are the ones who love really deeply. Those are the ones who keep serving faithfully. That's a great question. He asked this question, what would it look like for us to live so compellingly and so lovingly in our neighborhoods and in our cities that if we were suddenly removed from the world, our non-believing neighbors would miss us terribly. What a great question. What if we live with such love that if we were gone, everybody would miss us? And then he asked this question. 
what, it would, what would it look like for Christians to become the first place people go for comfort when a life-altering diagnosis comes? When anxiety and depression hit, when a child goes astray, when a spouse files for divorce, or when a breadwinner loses a job. What would it look like if the first thing our neighbors thought about when they had a crisis was, I need to go talk to that Christian? That's a great question. Maybe I would add one more to his. What would it look like if we became the least angry, most civil, most joyful, and most loving people in the world? You can think about that. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these good people and their willingness to consider loving each other more deeply and more fully. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would spark some ideas within each of us to guide us into that deeper love. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.